I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. That is the music of Jesse Williams and Coyote. The song is called Bloodhound, and it's from their new self-titled EP. Jesse Williams is my guest today on the program. Let me tell you a little bit about Jesse Williams. Raised around the cornfields of southern Indiana, Jesse Williams grew up with bluegrass and country music always playing at her family's farmhouse. But the music that really rang the young Williams' bell came from up north in Manitoba. At 14, Williams became enamored with Neil Young, and she poured over a guitar songbook of his work with forensic attention. Along with the music of Neil Young, Williams also found musical refuge in the sounds of Motown and 70s rock and roll. Now, like many musicians, Williams moved west, landing in Los Angeles in 2008. She played every coffee shop and bar that would have her. And it was a tricky time. Sure, aspiring artists moved to L.A. to establish themselves, which is hard enough. But making it even harder was the fact that the recently divorced Williams had her young daughter in tow. And not only that, she had an ex-husband stationed in harm's way in Iraq with the U.S. military. But by playing out, Williams met the core group of musicians that would form her new band, Coyote. I know, you and I both want to say Coyote, but in this case, that would be wrong. The band is called Coyote, and it's pronounced that way. But don't worry, it's still the Roadrunner and Coyote show. Now back to our story. Okay, so here's the setup. Single mom, day job, young daughter, military ex-husband in Iraq, notebook of songs, new city, new friends, new band, same financial worries... You get the picture. It's almost too much to even think about. So, at this point, Williams did what any single mother would do in a similar situation. She joined another band. Teaming up with the melodic L.A. indie folk outfit The Lonely Wild, Williams recorded and toured with that band and somehow juggled all those things I just mentioned to you. How she did it, I'll never understand. But... One thing I do understand is that when you're that busy and you're juggling that many things, some projects get put on hold. And Coyote got put on hold for a little while. But 2018 is the year of the Coyote because Jesse Williams and her band are ready to go. 
The muses are ghosts, Stephen King once wrote, and sometimes they come uninvited. Comforting, I know. But the fact is, we're living with ghosts all the time, and hardly any of them are ever invited. The memories of things that are gone, marriages, friends, family, jobs, or the parts of ourselves that no longer feel a part of us. All of those things all turn into spectral presences that weigh more in their absence than they ever did when they were present. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because Jesse Williams admits to going through a bit of a ghost phase when writing the songs that would comprise her band's self-titled EP. And I'll let her explain what she meant by that. But in the meantime, I can tell you this. The five songs that make up Jesse Williams and Coyote's debut are full of ghosts that not only stalk our hearts, they weave in and out of it, threatening to haunt it forever as we struggle for resolution. There's a lot at stake in these songs, and never have our wins and our losses seemed so inextricably interchangeable. Why? Well, because to win is to lose something, and to lose is to lose something, sure, but there's a win in that loss because with loss comes new knowledge, so that new knowledge becomes a win, but it's also a loss. You see the quandary here. I know that was a little confusing, but here's a good way to look at it. When you gain something, you have to lose something in the process, and when you lose something, you're gaining something in the process. That's the way life is. And that's a really good reason to never leave your house again, because life is hard and scary and filled with gains and losses, all of which sometimes happen on the same day. But don't listen to me talk about wins and losses and ghosts and things and coyotes. Listen to Jesse Williams and Coyote. They do a much better job explaining it than I do. This five-song EP has all the raw, open-wounded muscle of Patty Griffin's Living with Ghosts and the poetic finesse of Joni Mitchell's Blue. From the dark, rootsy stomp of Bloodhound to the achingly beautiful Rome Little Gypsy Rome, this is one of the most moving and powerful releases of 2018. It was a real pleasure to talk to Jesse Williams. She's very cool, and, uh, and we get into it. We talk about songwriting, we talk about friendship, and we talk about motherhood. And I think at the end of the conversation, she realized I wasn't a mother, but I was raised by one, so I got it. All right, this is my chat with Jesse Williams of Coyote. Enjoy this chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I actually have eight or nine songs recorded, but we're only releasing five just because they're um, a little bit older and I I didn't want to get too precious with it. It's, it's like we recorded at this amazing studio and um, it's kind of a, you know, a, a snapshot in time. So to like go through and try to modernize or like change anything just seems so silly. Um, I don't know, but so some of them are left over from my Nashville days. I wrote Freeman and um, Next to You probably wasn't on that list, but um, will end up on the EP um, earlier in my career. And the rest of them were actually kind of all written together. Um, 
I was going through a big like ghost phase (laughs) (laughs) Um, and reading uh, actually I love and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce his name I think it's um, Hesse actually Herman Hesse or Hermann Hesse however you um, what is he Russian or German he Uh, wrote the the, uh, the German Seven Wolf and yeah Um, you know reading a lot about um, kind of monsters or the duality of the spirit and um, uh, also like Frankenstein, a lot of stuff I was reading really contributed to this, this like feeling I had um, going on. Um, but yeah, it was mostly, most of it was written when I had just transferred from like the Nashville Midwest Kansas area to LA and making that transition and um, occupying a new space that didn't feel like mine yet and um, going through a divorce and um, yeah, within a year's time, I think most of them were written. You mentioned a ghost phase. I mean, a divorce is sort of like dealing with a ghost too. Exactly. It, it does exactly what that, that feeling is like you're still kind of haunted by this energy or this person that just to, you know, for all intents and purposes for you is dead, you know? Um, Well, not when you have a kid and you have to still deal with them every day, but that relationship's (laughs) dead and, you know, yeah, but there's still that, that residue left behind, I guess. And it's also that you know I I've been divorced too. It's like saying I've been on a roller coaster too. Uh, I was divorced too. And yeah. the thing is, when you when you're divorced, you also are dealing with like the ghost of the marriage and the ghost of the person that you were in the context of that marriage. So you're it's almost like you're dealing with your own ghost as well. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah, figuring out how who you are outside of the the couple or the family unit. It's it's uh, they're interesting waters, as yeah. you know. Yeah, they, and and I think that the the really interesting thing about that is this idea that I wonder. You were saying my ghost phase. I wonder if if we ever get out of that ghost phase because we're always dealing with you know losses of some kind or another in our in our lives. I mean, definitely. You know, you, as you get older, and I try to explain this to my daughter now because she gets so upset when things change, you know, like her uncle had a baby and she was so worried because she was kind of the baby of the family and everybody treated her a certain way. And it's like, now everything's going to change. And it's like, yeah. And it's going to continue to do that for the rest of your life. Like nothing will ever stay the same. So we're always, um, and it it seems like it, it seems like it happens more as we get older, but really it's just that we're experiencing more in general, (laughs) obviously. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. There's always going to be a new, like a, a little bit of a ghost left behind or an energy or, you know, I, I hate the word energy. I don't know how else to explain it, but just that like lingering feeling you have. Something that, that cl- you cling to a little bit because we're all like a little nostalgic and a little, um, you know, sentimental or whatever. And you, we do resist change. So you just like kind of hold on to that little bit you have left and it just, clings to you until slowly yeah it totally changes and we're on to the next phase in our life (laughs) 
I wonder, I wonder why, because a lot of music is so nostalgic, um, both lyrically and both in our experience of it. You know, a lot of times um, when we think about music, we always think time and a place. Where was I when I first heard that song? Uh, and the contents of the song are also nostalgic. I wonder why as people were so nostalgic. It's a good question. <laughs> what it is. I mean, I'm sure it's like everything. It just that goes back to the whole like fear of death. Like everybody's clinging to their youth and <laughs> everything's anti-aging. You know, it's all just trying not to get closer to that inevitable you know, final resting. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you, when you're, when you're doing your songwriting now, when you're writing songs, what is different between you now and you say 10 years ago or even 10 months ago? What, what in your process have you noticed has changed? Well, uh, yeah, a very distinct difference is that now I love to write in the morning and I'm talking like early morning. <laughs> Because I'm up, you know, I'm up with a baby. And before I would sit out on my stoop until, you know, 2 a.m. was my time. That was that was the, the big time for me. I'd sit out, smoke cigarettes and drink wine or whatever. It's like, no, I've, I've just, that was 10 years ago. I can't do that anymore. Now I have to get up at 6 a.m. So um, it's more sitting with my coffee and, you know, watching the birds or whatever. It's a little more responsible these <laughs> writing and more of a um not a habit but or a job necessarily but like I, I I make it it has to be a part of my um it's also part of like my and it probably was then too part of my self um oh you know like taking care of myself it's part I, it's something I need for like my mental health um, and I probably thought of it as, I hate to say more fun back then, but just not as, as serious or something. That's, that's a horrible way to describe it. But no, I get what you But mean, definitely you... the big distinction is like the morning writing as opposed to night writing. Well, the, the night writing is kind of, there's a romantic element to it where like, you know, I'm this sort of tragic figure late at night smoking cigarettes and, and thinking about the things that have happened or didn't happen or whatever. Um, and then this sort exactly. of – Right. And then the morning the morning writer, there's a practicality to it where, where it, like the romance part of it is gone, um, you know, just in terms of setting. So I wonder how that shows up in the work because like the practicality doesn't show up in the work. Like you don't read it and go, this person wrote this early in the morning. <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't, right. it doesn't come through that way. So I wonder what, are you seeing a difference in the actual content based on the fact that now you're approaching it from a, from a different hour? Uh, the only difference I see, because I worried about that. It's like people, you know, when you worry about going on like an antidepressant or something, it's like, I'll take, it'll take my edge off, you know, but then you realize, oh, I should have done this 10 years ago. Um, uh, for with the only difference I, I notice now is just, I have more, I'm able to write more, um, and, you know, in my opinion, like more, write more successfully things that I actually end up liking because, um, I'm awake and, <laughs> um, not kind of, I'm not starting my, my path down the 
the rabbit hole or, you know, into oblivion or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, people, it is just a romantic idea. It's not necessarily true. We don't all have to be, um, you know, um, oh my gosh, the famous drunk writer, not Polanski. Oh, oh, uh, um, uh, Bukowski. Bukowski, yeah, like to make to be successful at it, it it's it's it is just a, a romanticized notion that we're all like tortured artists, and I'm no less tortured in the morning than I am at night. But right. <laughs> I I basically just notice that I I write more, and so it's worked out a little bit better. I know, and I don't give in to my vices. <laughs> well, I know what you mean because I I used to try to do that sort of late night three in the morning in a cafe somewhere in Berkeley feeling like Bukowski and feeling like the saddest, loneliest guy in the world. And then, uh, you know, I teach college now. So now I write at faculty meetings, like what I'm supposed to be paying attention to yeah. that. Right? I'm, <laughs> I'm writing, I'm writing poems there. And it, it's funny because I find, even though the setting is not as romantic, not even close, I find the work is actually better because it's a little more effective. I think I'm a little more alert and I'm a little more aware of right. the fact that time is at a premium now, where in the old days, time was, was limitless. And in that limitlessness, I think maybe I was sloppier. That is the perfect way that it, it did in my early 20s seem like I had forever to do this. And now it's like, no, I mean, I have a lot of things to schedule in. If I want to maintain, you know, want to do this thing that I enjoy, I have to do it when I can. I can't waste my nights like getting plastered and then like writing flop and whatever, you know, <laughs> the morning is just, it's, it, it is, I don't know, more successful for me. I like the way you said it. It's not limitless. It's you're at a premium. That's right. Hmm. It's, uh, you know, and it's interesting. So are you finding the content of the stuff that you're writing? Does sometimes it surprise you in terms of where the narratives go? Hmm. Do I surprise me? When I look back in my notebook, I get surprised at things. I'm like, oh, I don't remember writing that. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> but as far as things I write about, um, I, don't, I don't know that I surprise myself too much. I still tend to have like a little darkness there. Um, even for morning writing. Um, I don't know. Did you think your writing changed? Did, did it get like a more positive tone being in a more sterile space than, you know, an old cafe at night? No, it got worse. It got darker. I think uh, it, got, <laughs> <laughs> it got way darker, but it got more refined. Like I think I got better at sort of bringing the darkness up in a way that was – maybe more artful and less and less clumsy. Like I'm just going to throw a lot of night things around. Now I feel I'm a little more right. in charge of the night things. I'm in charge of the narrative in a way that I don't think I was before. I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm stronger now because of the way that things have changed. Yeah. I think, um, you know, time just seems to be moving a little bit faster than I'd like it to. And, um, I probably focus on that a little too much, but that gets brought up a lot. And, um, in, in the new stuff, it's more, 
it's more introspective, I think, than I'd probably like it to be. I used to like to kind of focus on, not on other people, but just stories, I guess, um, from characters outside of me a little bit, you know? Now it's like, oh, shit. It's a little existential. <laughs> well, what about um, that in, that introspection? Does it does that introspection make you uncomfortable? Because it feels you feel like maybe you're revealing too much, or definitely, yeah. It's I'm I'm kind of private, which you know it's you really have to sell yourself these days uh, if you want to you know do this for a living, and it's it's tough for me. I, I just I don't know. There's, of course, there's the part of me that's like, why would anyone care to know any of this stuff about me? So why would they listen, you know? Um, and then, yeah, then the other part, too, is just not even even wanting to give that part of me away. Because it's like you, you give so much away on social media or whatever. It's like you want to keep something to yourself. And a lot of the times, because I use writing as a um, outlet for my emotions and, you know, just thoughts, um, personal thoughts. It's, yeah, you're, you're exposing yourself, <laughs> like the deepest parts of yourself and fears. Right. And it makes, it does feel like you're, yeah, you're showing the Achilles heel of your soul. Are you one of those people that takes a while to open up to people when you, when you like friends? Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I, I, and not that I don't think people are inherently good. I think that most people are, but you know, everybody is still, I, yeah, I'm a little interesting at first. It takes me a minute. <laughs> I get it. It's interesting because I know that telling stories, like if you write about, you know, if you write about a, I don't know, like a, like a battleship, like a sunken battleship, or if you write about a cheetah, or if you write about, you know, something else, the, the sort of the therapist uh, approach is that you're really writing about yourself anyway. Um, so, so even if you're trying not to reveal things and I'll write about narratives about other people, um, those people are parts of you anyway. Do you, do you subscribe to that right. idea? I yeah I mean I would say so at least a little piece of you I mean we all have so many I mean not all I guess we're maybe not maybe not everybody's letting all the parts of them be shown to the world but we all are comprised of like so many different um characters I guess or like sides to our personality um you can be a lot of things at once and I definitely would say most of the things I'd written even about other people aren't wholly about one person or one thing they're little bits of little things you know that have all come together Yeah, pearls, will you?
find that in your work there's a lot of recurring imagery do you find that you're attracted to like for example in my work it's always at the ocean it's all there's always a shark it's always night i i talk about california a lot because i'm from here um and i know that if i were to unpack that uh I, my mom was a therapist so i i <laughs> i know that those things can be unpacked and i know there's stuff there um but I haven't really – I haven't given it too much thought. But I do know that I'm attracted to the same <laughs> things. Do you find that you return to thematic or iconography, um, you, they're like recurring things that show up in your work? Do you find that, that there's places that you return to quite a bit? I do. The animals that I, I lean towards animals, um, dark birds like crows or um, – mockingbirds ravens like the that sort of thing um uh and then your um you know my band is coyote i have a song called bloodhound like your you know uh dog animals cats like lions and um so definitely animals reoccur throughout things nighttime i use a lot of nighttime too uh, mm, the road 
traveling, being on the road, that kind of thing. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's, it's demons. <laughs> de- yeah, ghosts. <laughs> Ghosts um, and demons, for sure. When I was in uh, graduate school, I remember th- this poet came and he spoke to our class, and I and I told him afterwards. I said, "I'm worried because I keep I feel like I keep writing about the same things." And and he told me he said, "Well, you know, if you know the things that you want to write about, you're kind of you're kind of luckier than most because a lot of people are when a lot of their early writing is just trying to find those things. So if you know that those things like birds and dogs and the road and night." Uh, you're mining. You're mining the right places for the answers. Well, that's good. I do notice that, like, I'll start a song and won't quite finish it. But it, yeah, I'll, and it changes, you know, throughout the years. There'll be a theme that I keep coming back to, and sometimes I'll like, I'll think of something and I'll go try to find what I had written earlier about. Um, like, let me think of a good example. Um, um, well, I get sleep paralysis. I don't know if you know what that is, but, um, uh, where you wake up and your, your body's paralyzed, but your mind's awake. Wow. Have you ever, it's really scary, but (laughs) so (laughs) I'll come back to that and, um, write on it. Everyone, you know, I haven't finished a song about it ever because that was obviously a very scary and deeply personal thing, but, um, uh, Every once in a while, I'll just think of something and like add to old lines that I'd written, or um, what's another one that I would have to probably look through my notebooks to um, circle back around to it, you know, just throwing it out. If it was like the circus or something, I would, you know, go back and add things. But, but yeah, the, oh, the sleep paralysis thing, that's really fun. Uh, apparently, back in the day, before they knew, they thought it was an actual um, demon that would sit on your chest and try to like possess you. (laughs) So that goes right along with my kind of obsession with ghosts and demons. Um, I don't think that's what it is. (laughs) Science now has determined that it's not. In fact, it's just that your body releases, um, like the sleep hormone that keeps you from thrashing around while you're sleeping and for some reason, my brain is slow to tell my body, like, you're awake now, you can move. Um, so I'll end up, you know, kind of stuck in that and have to talk to my brain and be like, you can move now, you can move, you can move. Um, is, is that like, but, is yeah. that all the time? Is that, is that like an everyday thing? Or is that something mm-hmm. that just happens every now and then? When I'm in kind of high stress, um, times it's it can happen every day and it can happen multiple times but um there are definitely things that trigger it one is uh stress and the other is sleeping on my back so i try not to sleep on my back but i like to sleep on my back so <laughs> um yeah it's, it's an interesting thing it happened to my mom and i as a kid i thought it was just that was life like it happened to everybody and then i was a teenager before i realized that not everybody gets that. <laughs> Actually, if you just Googled sleep paralysis demon, you'll see this painting of a woman sleeping and a demon sitting on her chest. And there's like a mare, like a horse mare in oh, the background. My God, I got to see this. Okay, I'm going to Google it. I have to check it out. Yeah. 
when you when you're writing do you sometimes feel like okay that's maybe I'm a little, I'm revealing too much here I'm going to pull back do, are you conscious of that or do you feel that's something you can you can in the editing process you'll go oh that let's just let's pull let's pull back now yeah i feel myself do that and then i try to say you know what just free flow here or i'll i'll do this the thing where oh no that's bad don't write that that's bad and it's and then I realized that's silly. This isn't like going to print right now. Just write what you're thinking and you don't have to keep it. We can throw it out later, but I, it's definitely natural to, to, you know, do that. And if I catch myself, I try to, well, I try to not do that. (laughs) Tell me about your friendship with Margot. Tell me, tell me about, about you guys as uh, being pals and explain to me about that sort of creatively, how that influences you. Yeah. Um, I moved to Nashville after college and Margo and I, um, both worked at the same like beer emporium and it took us about a day <laughs> to realize that we're both musicians and into the same music and kind of right away started hanging out and, um, playing together and we were both like really terrible at that point. And she was a great singer, but like, um, terrible guitar player. And <laughs> I was a terrible singer and like an okay guitar player. And, um, together we were pretty good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we just became pretty fast friends and would hang out a lot and almost always play music. And, um, her husband would join in as well. And, you know, we were young and a lot of just messing around and drinking and playing. Um, but they were really the first people to encourage me to write and play. So that was huge. Um, and, you know, we've continued to be friends and because it's never felt like a competition or anything like that. Um, it's just motivating because they're always writing new songs and um, they're always good. And so there's that motivation there to like keep up with the Joneses kind of thing. Um, And uh, yeah, she's just continued to be encouraging and um, she's one of my best friends. So I I appreciate them a lot. I wish I could see them more. I've actually, since she's been touring, I get to see her fairly frequently compared to last years or so since I moved to LA um, since she's here quite a bit. So that's been nice. And I usually visit Nashville once a year. Doesn't seem like enough, but you know, it's, it's, it's been great to keep, I'm not really good on the phone. You can probably tell I'm like pasting my house right now. Um, (laughs) You're doing great. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't keep touch with people. um, But because, probably a lot of it is, is being female musicians. I mean, there are a lot of female female musicians now and there probably were then, but it it didn't seem like it to us. She was literally for years, the only other female like folk musician that I knew, you know, um, my age anyway, my parents are musicians and all their friends are musicians, but, um, but somebody that I could really relate to. So she and I, actually stayed in touch and kept like, you know, even though we're across the country from each other, kept regular phone calls to basically bitch about, um, male musicians 
(laughs) (laughs) and the industry in general and like, you know, how we would be treated because we're girls and just, we had that common ground and I think that really kept us connected. Growing, growing up in Indiana, did you, I mean, Los Angeles must've seemed like a sort of that, the mythic West, um, and, and, and being out there, do you feel comfortable in Los Angeles or do you feel uh, like it's a necessary geographical element to your work? I know. I love it here. Um, yeah, it's totally different. And it definitely had that um, feeling growing up like you got to go to L.A. Like that's where things happen. And um, now that I'm here, it doesn't seem so bright and shiny and that way it's just my home I love it the weather's awesome um I have a lot of great friends and nobody you know I don't live in the middle of like Universal Studios you know what I mean like I just I live in in Echo Park and it's just kind of like anywhere else and the people are like people anyplace else except probably a little more um liberal in general (laughs) which kind of leans more towards my idealism. So uh, whatever, but um, it, it, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. I, I, I like it here. It, it fits me. I'm thinking about what you, you and Margo talking about, you know, the insufferable male musicians and uh, you know, the unfortunate ways that you were treated and here you are raising a daughter and, you know, we're in this moment where there's the, the Me Too movement, which is really exciting because it's sort of making people accountable for their behavior in ways that they weren't before. Are you more conscious right. of that now um, as a parent? Has that – how do you feel about that whole that whole idea that there's an accountability now in, in a world where you're raising a daughter? I mean the timing – thank God. The timing is, is, is great. Right. I mean it... – Hopefully it'll continue to gain the momentum and won't get swept under the rug again. But um, it's scary having a girl, (laughs) two girls actually. Um, And it's, I mean, I survived, you know, I'm here, but you have, I feel like you have to have different talks with, girls then maybe you do boys and that could totally be not the case at all. I don't know. Cause I don't have a little boy, but um, we have to go through not just the sex talk, but then it's like, well, you have to also be careful and responsible for yourself, even though it's not your fault. And it's confusing it, the information that to give, you want to protect them, but you also want them to feel strong and confident. And um, it, it's, it's a confusing conversation to have with a young child um on top of just like hey you know sex um (laughs) and uh (laughs) um but i am glad that hopefully things are changing or will continue to change and you know um, the pay gap will um slowly (laughs) or quickly um close in a little bit and you know we're seeing more female directors and um i'm working a lot more with just female you know camera people and um things like that where i just 
I wasn't even, I wasn't seeing that as much even, you know, five years ago. So we're hopefully being taken seriously. And um, I mean, I, I think there's, there, there's still going to be a struggle. Um, but, you know, not as much. I, I actually, it's funny because my daughter loves um, old TV shows like um, Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke. And um, they say sexist things a lot, actually. And it's not as relatable to her. Like, I have to explain to her, like, these are the things that women have been struggling with. Um, and you thankfully won't have to, you know, as, as much, but you should realize that it's the same with racism and, you know, um, you know, all the struggles that any minority has, has to go through, not that women are a minor minority, but we're actually the majority, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's when you're trying to be on, um, level playing fields with people. Um, I think that that's why now people be like, there's no racism. We took care of that. And it's like, no, <laughs> you're just seeing it. You're not seeing the last like 60 years of history and you're just yeah, whitewashing over the last 10 years. And what's been gained doesn't mean there isn't still this like kind of underbelly that you should be aware of because, when you're not, you know, what they say, when you're not aware of like history, it comes back to bite you in the ass. That's not exactly what they say, but <laughs> that's the gist of it. That's right. And I mean, and I think the post-racial argument, you, know, you talk about the last 60 years, how about the last 60 minutes? I mean, you turn on the TV and you realize that the, right. you know, the, the post-racial argument is, is one that, that doesn't really work. Um, not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. No. So I, I, I totally agree with you. How old are your kids? Um, Lily is 11 and Vera is 10 months. So right, so <laughs> they're going to grow up in a little bit different. World. <laughs> but no, yeah, you're totally right. You, and turn on the, the news 60 minutes ago too. And somebody not naming names probably said something stupid about women too. And <laughs> yes, like we're, it's yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not, it has not gone away. By no, means. no, it hasn't. It, it hasn't. And um, that's why we need art now more than ever. Are you somebody who is, because of the ages of your children, are, is touring something that is challenging for you? Or is that something that you, how do you handle hitting the road? Or do you just not? Um, I had been, I mean, uh, before Vera was born, she was born last August. So we haven't um, since then, but I hope to in the spring, it will be something that right now I'm kind of like, let's just deal with it when we get there. But with Lily, she was older once we started. I think I I started touring when she was about five. So, you know, she was in school. She had things super busy. My mom would come help. Her dad's mom would help. Um, so, and we definitely keep our tours short. Um, as far as the future, it's, you know, I just have to take it as it comes. Cause, but I do plan on touring. I love touring. It, I love seeing the country that way and like reconnecting with old friends and um, playing every night and kind of having that purpose. So I'm ready to get back out there when I can. <laughs> but it is harder with a baby. 
<laughs> now, I would never ask you to uh, to choose uh, this, but I'm kind of going to. Is there a song on the EP that for you is uh, is a personal favorite? I know that I, I hate to ask you, <laughs> but I like. But is is there a song that for you stands out as like the secret favorite song of yours on the on the record? Uh, um, I mean, it's probably Gypsy, just because. Um, I like the groove and, um, yeah, I don't know. That's mostly, I like the groove. Bloodhound's pretty fun to play as far as, like, lyrically. I always thought that one was a little more clever or fun. But, um, I think all of us would probably say Gypsy. It just has, like, a, I don't know, nice flow to it. What um, it's a beautiful song. What are your uh, what's your what's your personal philosophy, Jesse? If you had to say, do you have do you have a sort of idea about the world that you that you live by? Oh, that's an even harder question. Um, <laughs> You're like, let's get back to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just like survival, though. I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, we just try to kindness you know it just I try to be I I can't help but be an extremely empathetic person I have a hard time really um separating my emotions from other people's emotions um or the world (laughs) for that matter so um I have to give myself breaks sometimes but if people could just learn to empathize and put themselves in other people's shoes before they even, you know, people I think are wrong, the, you know, not necessarily like the, the extremist, but I try to, you know, I came from a, a different background um, than I necessarily subscribe to now. I came from kind of an extremely religious background and um, Indiana's, you know, it's fairly just um, conservative and I'm not a particularly conservative person at all. Um but I, I know where they come from, you know, I know where, um, and I disagree <laughs> wholeheartedly, but I try to, when I see something stupid on Facebook or wherever and, or something I think is stupid, I try to stop before I get angry, too angry and think about their intention and, um, like why they would say the things that they said, um, before, you know, I allow emotions to take over and um then I say something stupid and I think if people just took the time to try to empathize and lead with kindness and um um just kind of default to to responding with love you know maybe maybe we would have less problems (laughs) (laughs) I agree um, look, I know you're pacing. I know this is uncomfortable, but I've really enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. You made it easy. These are interesting questions, so thank you. Sleep paralysis, ghosts, and motherhood. I think we covered everything in that conversation. Big thanks to Jesse Williams for being so sweet and lovely. 
do get her EP. It's fantastic. You want to find her online? Here's what you do. Go to Jesse Williams and Coyote. Uh, the... The name Jesse is with an I, and Coyote is spelled the way you spell coyote. Jesse Williams and Coyote.com. Pay her a visit. Get the EP. You'll be happy you did. If you're on iTunes, please subscribe to Bombshell Radio. And uh, if you're there, uh, you know, why schlep back in the future and, uh, and have to go there again and subscribe to something else? Subscribe to Stereo Embers, the podcast, since you're there. And if you got a couple extra stars in your pocket, give us a rating, give us a review, and uh, let me know who you want on the program in the future, and I will do my best to hound them until they relent to getting on the phone or uh, seeing me in person. Okay? All right. Uh, Thank you, as always, for listening to the program. Questions, comments, and concerns are always welcome. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com or on Twitter at Ember's Editor. Let's close things off with Bloodhound. This is the second single from Jesse Williams and Coyote's self-titled EP. Enjoy it right here, and I'll see you next week on Stereo Embers, the podcast. <laughs>